thread. God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Thread. Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley. Welcome back to Thread Podcast number 82. And uh, I'm coming to you this time from the Medialite campus. We've got students from many different countries, I think about eight countries this time, that are gathered with us to learn to be media missionaries and uh, Christian Christian communicators for their generation. Um, the Where this school is is really close to an interstate, so you may hear some noises outside. I've done my best to barricade myself here with Soundcore, but some stuff just comes through anyway. So I apologize in advance for that. Uh, this is a very important lesson. We've already been in the life of Stephen. Today we're in Acts chapter 7, verses 1 through 60. Uh, I live in the 1040 window, which is the persecution zone for the world. Uh, we've had in previous years a quarter of a million people killed here every single year. And thank God that number seems to be down but still, people give their lives in this part of the world, and you know we're going to face that all over the world because the Scripture teaches us very clearly that in the end times, there will be a global anti-God sentiment, anti-Christ sentiment. It will be in the government. It will be in family. It will be in education. It will be in the um, economic uh, dimension of our society that there's going to be a global full court press on anybody who has reverence for God and we're going to need to prepare ourselves mentally Imagine to be faithful witnesses in, in a time He's of a intense God hate probably in and that's what Stephen did you know, this uh, is the uh, very 30s. famous and passage on the, the address that Stephen Social, gave in his defense political system of his and uh, let's just look at that because I think as and leaders we the court system uh, this situation all started with a public debate Christ that Stephen got into with ago. some junior seminarians at a temple at the temple one day, and it went on for a few days because he would uh, refute. He would come and give them teaching about Jesus. They'd try to argue back. He'd beat them. They'd go home and prepare a fresh theological argument against Christ and come back the next day to confront him when he came out to pray. And he'd have to stop and deal with them again. And now it's gotten to this level. And he's been dragged into court without notice, without an attorney. And this is a court that has already decided on its verdict, just as they did with Jesus when they had a trial for him in the night at the home of the prosecution and him with no defense at all and beat him during his own trial. So he can already see what's happening here. What would you do? In a situation like that, you can tell you're not going to get justice, your life is at risk, and your family, you know, is on everybody's mind in a time like that. But Stephen had other things on his mind also, and I want you to watch the faithful witness that he was, watch him deliver God's message to the Sanhedrin leaders, no matter what it cost him. Uh, Stephen leaned back on the teaching of Jesus when Jesus said, when you are called into a situation like this, don't prepare a lengthy argument. The Holy Spirit will tell you what you need to say. So just open up, respond to God, and say the things that come to you in that moment. So Stephen does. The uh, accuser, high priest, starts with one line. That's in verse 1. Are these things so? 
the things are that um, he's been, uh, according to the accusation, speaking against their customs and saying that the temple would be destroyed because Jesus Christ prophesied it. He's been preaching Jesus. And so the high priest says, are these things so? And Stephen starts his defense. And I want you to notice how he opens it in chapter 7, verse 2 of the book of Acts. Stephen said, brothers and fathers, listen. So, you know, nice opening, a welcoming tone, respectful. He does not launch into a a personal, angry assault on them. He really, sincerely wants them to listen to him. I'm sure he would really like to go home at the end of that and tell the story to his family, who doesn't even know what's happening to him right now. Uh, Tell his story to his brothers and sisters that he got to have a a good open dialogue with the Sanhedrin leaders, and maybe they understand about Jesus better now. So, you know, he wants them to listen. He's sincere in that. On the other hand, maybe they're just itching to kill somebody uh, because they are powerless to stop the spread of the movement that Jesus started, and they just want to react in some way. They're frustrated, and they're just looking for a scapegoat. It's possible Stephen's not going to not going to go home that day no matter what. But either way, he's determined to be a clear voice from God. It's not a personal thing, him versus them. He's there to represent God and to speak. And so he opens, trying to get them to pay attention to him. And then he turns the conversation. He doesn't answer yes or no. He doesn't allow the other side to pin him in with the kinds of questions that they ask, because he, he broadens the debate, and basically he says to them, well, his very possible. first word is, it is absolutely God, that all you know, it's not about not me and what God I'm teaching, it's about God, and rightly uh, understanding what God, God is doing and what God has said. Uh, you know, it's good, as we said before, it's good for all of us uh, to entertain just a little bit of doubt absolutely certain that we've that gotten it all figured out. I mean, God is big. It. it is absolutely certain, more than possible, that all of us misunderstand God, that we have not fully grasped who he is, how he is, what his heart is like. We've all missed something, and it's healthy to entertain that openness. Some things we know that we know that we know, and you build on those. But some things you don't know. And these men are absolutely certain that they are right. And Stephen is trying to open their mind and make them entertain the possibility, that see it from another perspective. And Stephen says, it's not about whether I said a bad thing about the temple building. And it's not about whether I said something about a man that you think is inappropriate that we've made Jesus such a big deal Um, what matters is God it matters about God and it matters about God's actions so he takes them back through the history of their people because it's their joint history he says let's walk back through our tribe's history I want I want us to look at the actions of God he starts off and he says in verse 2 God called Abraham He called Abraham out, he anointed Abraham, and he made us, his children, his offspring, to be a covenant people. And Abraham responded to God's action by obeying God. Verses 4 through 8. 
Then he called um, Joseph. And in, uh, he called Joseph and he uh, put him under his chosen leadership. He said, Joseph, you will be my leader. But the sons of Jacob resisted God's will. And they persecuted his chosen leader, Joseph. And that's verses 9 through 16. He talks about that, how that although Joseph was chosen by God, the rest of the covenant family didn't support him. They abused him. They sold him into slavery. They tried to hurt him. And he was God's called man. Now let's go to the next leader, Moses, verses 17 through 35. God called Moses and he set Moses up and he showed that Moses by miracles and by uh, direct revelation that he had anointed Moses to be the leader and to bring these people to him. And still, verse 35, the people rejected Moses. And it you know, would do us all good to ponder the history of change agents. Almost none of them were popular in their lifetime. And almost none of them succeeded. Most of them left a very small start. But they changed something. And that something was so powerful that it kept growing even after they were gone. And if we're going to be change agents as leaders, we have to put aside the need to also be successful. Let that sink in for just a minute. Because we're in a success um, driven culture. Everything's about succeeding. And we've dragged that whole doctrine into the, into the church now. And we've made it scriptural. And now being a Christian is about being a success. And God helping you be a success. Which is okay. Except we define success as having more money. Higher position and more material possessions. And a better uh, emotional state. And you feel like a champion. And that's really the gospel that we preach. But if you look throughout history, and that's what Stephen is doing in his defense, he says, track the true leaders. When God raises up a leader, it's because the current situation needs to be overcome and change needs to take place. And people are thinking in a deficient way. There's something wrong with the way they see things. And that's why they're stuck. And God raises up men and women and he gives them his word and he gives them direction and they act as agents of change and they are not popular. People don't like change. And they aggressively go at the faulty pillars of understanding. They resist it. Uh, and the people resist those leaders. And the people reject God's leaders. And that's what he says in verse 35. The covenant people, the same people that sit in the seats where you sit right now, resisted Moses, rejected his leadership under God. But God did mighty miracles. God endorsed him so clearly. God helped him do his calling. And God will help us do our callings. And God will endorse us with mighty miracles. But it still doesn't mean we're going to succeed, brothers and sisters. It still doesn't mean we're going to succeed. And it still doesn't mean we're going to all see the fruit of our labors. And it still doesn't mean that in this life we're going to all be rewarded with uh, applause and financial blessing. If you are called by God to be a leader and a change agent, sometimes you just pay the price for the future. You know, you're paying it forward so that others can come after you and reap the benefits of the thing that you've been faithful about. Verse 37, Moses, who you claim to follow, Stephen says, 
Moses himself said God would raise up another nation-building prophet. Verse 39, Our fathers rejected Moses and would not obey, and they turned their hearts to go back to Egypt. They liked it the way it was, even though it was bondage and darkness and slavery. They preferred that than following God's man into the future that God was leading us into. They preferred to worship the works of their own hands. They preferred in those days to worship their idols. Later on, they preferred to worship the golden temple that David and Solomon built. And now today, as Stephen can look at the current temple, this is just a marble temple that took a mere 46 years, was built by a heretic and a murderer, and you're making such a big deal over it. So he turns the conversation. You know, we prefer to worship the works of our own hands than to obey God. Now about this building, and he turns on the building now, verse 49, and he repeats what he's been saying. This building is not a house for God. God is too big for this little house. And, uh, you know, pastors need to get that message clear too. I, I'm really tired of seeing uh, that scripture used on church building campaigns. What house will you build for me? And I always just want to say, would you just read the passage it's a it's a taunting question. It's God saying, how dare you build a house for me? What kind of house would you build me? Is it in your power to build a house for me? Churches are not buildings for God. We don't believe in temples. Churches are not buildings for God. They're buildings for us. We build soft seats for our butts. And it's our, you know, it's our visual stuff that we're going to pay the money, get the nice screen in there. And it's our air conditioning is our kids in the playground. Don't say this is for God. It's for us. It's the place that we gather to worship God. But wealthy people build amazing buildings and they're not building it for God. They're building it for themselves. And that's what Stephen says. This is not a house for God. God does not need a house. God is too big for this little house. This house is a work of man and it's a part of our national pride. We're proud of this house that King Herod built. This is not Solomon's house that he built. This is not the house that David planned. This is a house that this murderous king built and gave to our nation. Now, as it relates to Jesus, verse 51, you stubborn, stiff-neck people. At this point, the Holy Spirit, <laughs> at this point, the Holy Spirit is driving home the final message, and you really got to hope that these guys are paying attention. Stiff-necked. It's like a cow that will not uh, pull, will not obey. It's a mule that won't pull the plow. They make turn their cart, and you're trying to lead them, and they refuse. They push the way they're not, and they might not even want to go that way. It's just the opposite of the way that you want them to go, is you are stubborn people. And you are, verse 51, you are uncircumcised in your hearts and in your ears. Uncircumcised. You are profane and you are worldly in your thinking and in your hearing. As your fathers did, so do you now reject God's leadership, resist the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 52, he lays the case at their feet. Name me one 
God-ordained leader, one prophet sent by God that you venerate today that your fathers did not resist and persecute. They killed the prophets who foretold Messiah, and now you, even worse, they killed the prophets. They killed the prophets who foretold Messiah, and now you have killed Messiah. You betrayers and you murderers. You have received the law by God's hand. His angels, verse 53, his angels have helped you and they have directed you and you are without excuse as you refuse to follow him. Verse 54 says that they were cut to the heart. See, when you're cut to the heart, your response depends on what's in the heart. In chapter 2, verse 37, the crowd was cut to the heart when Peter spoke to them. But when their heart was now cut and began to bleed, it led to brokenness and contrition and repentance. This group has only pride in their heart, and it leads them to furious rage. I don't know who wrote it, but I remember early in my studies, religion plus power is a toxic mixture. The American forefathers were so right. They had seen centuries of religion mixed with power and the absolute cruelty and brutality that that system brings because religious pride is the most acidic and cruel of all forms of pride. And these men rise in murderous rage and gnash at him with their teeth. They're like, it's like a rabid dogs on a leash. And they're just on these chains, you know, wanting to just eat him up. Verse 55, Stephen's having a whole different experience. These guys are furious. They are screaming at him. Verse 55, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see heavens opened. I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. You know, this world was not Stephen's home. He had a family. He knew God would take care of them. He had things I'm sure he would like to do with his life. But most of all, he wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to be pleasing to God. And so Stephen's having this serene moment while verse 57, this demonic inspired hate and antichrist spirit raises up inside these guys. It just rises up and with one accord, they are unified in their hate. Verse 58, they dragged him and they threw him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. We'll see him later. Uh, unlike Jeremiah, who died cursing the people that were killing him and telling God to please remember everybody standing there and to make sure that they all got punished, Stephen, as he dies, his last words are the words of Jesus. Uh, he says, Lord, please forgive them for what they're doing. Verse 60. And then he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. What a big man. He dies in forgiveness he dies peacefully in his experience of death versus the violence going on all around him. It's like his, his soul, his spirit is so big and fat and strong and it has 
It has risen up above his body, and they're just ripping his body to shreds, and he's not feeling that. The scripture actually says he fell asleep. You know, the violence all around him, but sleep is in his heart, and it's his experience. Look, you can have, you can peacefully face your own persecution one day. You can peacefully face your own execution. Death does not have to be a horrifying experience for us, and if we can deal with death, then surely we can deal with a little bit of ribbing or people poking fun at us or losing our job or not getting a raise or whatever it costs us to follow Jesus. But we need, to, we need the example of men like this and women like this too who have faced, um, faced their persecutors and faithfully discharged the Word of God and uh, given those people a good, strong witness, even when it came down to that moment and it was their face-to-face encounter uh, with those who really, really hate God and hate them too. Well, that's all for this time. I think it's a lot of food for thought, and I just love this man's example. And I would love to hear from you. So if you want to write me personally, chuck at com. I'd love to hear from you. I'm working on something. Uh, We're working on a whole new idea that we're going to have – short video courses that are available and a lot on a lot of different subjects and we're working on our setup for that now so I'll be talking to you more about that in the future uh, you can check out um, the thread podcast you can go to quinley.com and find it there you can go to the Apple store but now with the new OS you have to go to the app store and download a podcast app and that's where all the apps are we're also in the Android marketplace thread by Chuck Quinley uh, please help us pass the word and uh, let more let more people enjoy God's word coming to them. Verse by verse, Bible study for leaders. That's what we all need. We can eat good spiritual food and grow up by it. God bless you. Until next time, I'm Fred. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Log on to Quinley.com. 